From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, January 24th. There are a lot of studies and reports on Moab's water situation. The first came in 1971, another in 77, 1990, 97, 99, the early 2000s, 2018, You get the idea. And according to geoscience professor Dr. Tom Lockmar, the current situation is this. Moab's groundwater is being taken as the valley develops, and less of it is getting recharged due to climate change. So what do we do about it? I think uh, there are two ways of approaching it. That's Lockmar. As a professor with Utah State University, he reviewed the many different Moab Valley water studies. And he presented this review before a packed house last week, As he sees it, Moab has two options. We can find other sources of water that we aren't tapping into now, but the other is we can try to reduce our use of water, our demand for water. Okay, it's it's like, okay, we can try to find more oil and keep driving our gas-guzzling vehicles, or we can try to find uh, vehicles that use less fuel and look at it from that standpoint. Lockmar's presentation was detailed. He summarized every local water report over five decades. And he says the one that presents the best roadmap for Moab's next steps is a short report from the USGS. It includes a suggestion, groundwater modeling. The modeling will tell us where we need to monitor as opposed to just throwing darts at a map. Arnie Holtquist with the Moab Area Watershed Partnership He says sophisticated modeling can be used to better understand aquifer connections and simulate changes based on development or climate change. Because the reality, according to Hultquist, is... We live in a water-strained area of the world. It is probably our weakest resource um, in terms of our natural resources, and it's probably the first one that's going to go short on us. I think the next thing I'm going to put my effort towards is getting more modeling to kind of show what are the different scenarios with climate change or development and how does that impact our water. Sarah Stock, also a fan of groundwater modeling. Stock recently served on the Grand County Commission where she pushed for more and better water data. Some people have talked about trying to look for other sources, namely the Colorado River something. I think anyone who's looking at that water system right now would know that's probably not a safe bet. And so our option here in this community is to figure out How do we align our zoning and our landscaping ordinances and the way that we're developing this valley with our limited resource? For me, that's the really important next step. This presentation pointed to the fact that we have the science needed to develop a good model to help us make those decisions and also the science needed to create the political will to actually limit the amount of density that we allow in Spanish Valley and to improve our ordinances for the way that we use the water that we have. Water managers, representatives from various water-related nonprofits, and concerned community members were all in attendance during Lockmar's presentation. It's a time of active planning for water in this community. Many of the impactful decisions are made by water utilities, but the public, too, really has influence. And Lockmar says there are always practical, personal steps to take. I would say for the average person who buys his or her water from, say, the city of Moab. You can't really do much about where they're getting their water or their additional water, but you can cut down on your use, perhaps. Maybe that's something to think about sooner rather than later. Find Lockmire's presentation, titled Moab and Spanish Valley's Groundwater Condition, in the show notes.
The Sundance Film Festival is currently ongoing, bringing films and conversations to Park City, Utah. And this year, there's something new. The Sunrise House is a pan-Asian American Pacific Islander house at the festival this year. Its organizers are sharing the significance of representing their community at the festival. Andrea Buchanan, with our partners at KPCW, has more. Daniel Day Kim is an Asian-American actor and producer best known for his roles on Lost, Hawaii Five-0, and Raya and the Last Dragon. He's a vocal activist for the AAPI community and is one of the founders of the Sunrise House, the first official Pan-Asian-American Pacific Islander house at Sundance. Kim said the Sunrise House will offer a think tank during the day with speakers from various industries talking about issues pertinent to the Asian-American community. It will be a different story after hours. And then at night, we transition to some fun and the celebrations. We're, uh, Sundance happens to fall over Lunar New Year this year, and so we're, we're, it's a perfect reason to celebrate a number of different things. Kim said he got the idea for an AAPI house the last time he attended the festival. 2020, <laughs> the Sundance right before the pandemic hit, I was uh, going to events at Macro Lodge and Latinx House and Black House, and I thought to myself, why isn't there something like this for the Asian American community? We have other communities of color represented. It's when I started talking to the organizers and uh, I wanted to bring some friends along because there is strength in numbers. Bing Chen made Forbes 30 under 30 list in 2014. He is the CEO of Gold House, a media and entertainment company that promotes AAPI creative projects and is a partner in the Sunrise House. He said Kim's idea to have an AAPI house at Sundance was exciting, and he jumped at the chance to help make it happen. And he recognized that in sort of the 30-plus years or 40-plus years of Sundance, uh, there just had never been an official Asian or pan-Asian house. Uh, And we thought it was particularly surprising because since then, there's been over 300 Asian Pacific films and filmmakers at the festival. This year alone, there's over 14. Uh, Moreover, we all know very creatively what our community is capable of, uh, whether it's from films like The Farewell or Be Water to Everything Ever All at Once. Uh, And so it felt auspicious to create sort of a physical convening ground for really everybody. Kim said the purpose of the Sunrise House is to bring together the AAPI community for reflection and celebration. You know, our community has uh, faced a lot of challenges over the past few years in particular. Uh, And so it's important that we also uh, accentuate the positive elements of the things that we're doing and, and the ways that we're making progress in our society at large. Norman Chen is CEO of the Asian American Foundation, which launched in 2021 to create a better future for the AAPI community. He is another partner in the Sunrise House. Chin said there are many stereotypes of Asian Americans his organization is working to overcome. We've done surveys where we ask people to name a prominent Asian American, and half of Americans can't name a prominent Asian American. And the names that come up after that are Jackie Chan, who's not American, Bruce Lee, that we knew as as children, frankly, but are still widely prevalent in the minds of Americans, and that shows you the power of media, right, in shaping these perceptions, but also how dated and how stereotypical. Kim said his hope for the future is where lines are no longer drawn and distinctions are a thing of the past. At some point, I'd like, to, I'd like our society and the world to get to a place where inclusion is such a given. Uh, there is no need to celebrate community by community, and that we all understand the importance and significance of the contributions of every community to our media and our society. Andrea Buchanan, KPCW News. This piece is from our partners at KPCW in Park City. 
Colorado Wildlife Commissioners are soliciting public comments on the state's wolf restoration and management plan. Colorado voters narrowly approved a proposition in 2020 tasking the state to develop a plan to reintroduce and manage gray wolves no later than December 31, 2023. Travis Duncan with Colorado Parks and Wildlife says public meetings are part of that process. Really, it's just an effort to make sure we hear from as many Coloradans as possible and that our commission and our staff has all the information possible from stakeholders and and folks who care about wolf restoration efforts so that we're able to make the best plan we can. The first meeting was held in Colorado Springs in mid-January, and the second meeting will be held in Gunnison on Wednesday. Duncan expects the final wolf restoration and management plan to be approved this spring. But until then, things are not yet finalized. Elements of the plan could change. We really tried to emphasize that this is the draft wolf restoration and management plan. This is not a, a final product at this point. Uh, So now is the time to let your voice be heard and let us know what you think about the plan. Under the current draft plan, wolf releases would occur west of the Continental Divide, at least 50 miles from the borders of Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico. As our partners at the Salt Lake Tribune report, some Utahns are not so enthusiastic about the return of the apex predator, which is blamed fairly or not for big game and livestock losses. The draft plan can be reviewed and comments submitted at engagecpw.org. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, January 24th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.